Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're Solution Architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, my name is Shane Boldashino, and this is episode 60 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast. And joining me today, all the way from warm Singapore, is Tech Chat's friend and AWS tech evangelist, Gabe Hollenby. Welcome back, Gabe. Thank you, Shane. It's always a pleasure to come on the show. So look, it's been a while between drinks, a long time in person, probably a bit less on the show. It was actually three months ago when we spoke about Aurora, not your daughter, the but the database. And yeah. looking at the stats for the show, it was probably one of our most popular episodes for the year. Are you ready for another cracker episode today, Gabe? Well, I aim to please, so hopefully the listeners will enjoy what we have today. Awesome. Okay, so keeping with recent tradition, in this episode of AWS Tech Chat, we're going to pause following our event-driven architecture special and come at you with a raft of short, sharp, but important updates that have occurred in the last month. And at the time of recording, that's October and November of 2019. Being Tech Chat, we'll cover these at the level you expect, but more importantly, ask the hard and so what and why questions. I had a bit of a joke last episode, we may be sandbagging updates, but in curating content for today's show, there is a ton to talk about leading up to reInvent. Gabe, let's keep news short and sharp today, but let's get on with it. Sure. Uh, You know, we usually talk about summits here, and there's no more summits for this year as we gear up for reInvent, so we can park summit updates for now. Of course, Pete mentioned in the last episode he's planning Sydney Summit at the moment, and while we don't have the uh, summit's planned yet in terms of dates stay tuned here and we'll give you the dates as soon as we have them for your local region we will no doubt endeavor when the schedule gets released to keep you informed throughout the year reinvent gabe a few weeks away are you ready oh i'm working on it Uh, i will be one of the lead hosts for our aws reinvent launchpad show on twitch for all of you listeners who can't make it to reinvent you can tune into our live coverage from the show on twitch.tv slash aws I hope to see you there and join the stream. Say hello to me on the chat if you do. What about you, Shane? I'm not going to be on Launchpad, but maybe I'll send you a message via Twitch. So twitch.tv forward slash AWS. So look, Gabe, looking at my schedule, I don't think I'm even nowhere near ready, but there's a few weeks left. And speaking of reInvent, we will be there. And funny to have you on the show today, Gabe, as just you and myself will be there at reInvent, flying the tech chat flag. And the plan is... We're going to record up to three shows during the event with approximately a 24-hour lag time before publishing, giving us time to consume, digest, and deliver the new services and features to you whilst giving us an opportunity to kick the tires and you know let you know what you need to know. Now, for those who reached out to us, thank you. You know, Still more people to reply back to. We, as in Gabe and I, will make an appearance at a location or two, and we'll be sure to let those know who've reached out in advance, hopefully in the next week, and it would be great to meet each and every one of you. If you want to catch up again, let us know, AWS Tech Chat at Amazon.com. So no new regions or availability zones or CloudFront Edge locations to talk about today. So really, I think that's all of the news and announcements, Shane. Okay, that was quick. So let's start the show with something fun, Gabe. Wait, aren't we already having fun? I mean, I'm having fun. Well, look, of course, Tech Chat is fun. Perhaps maybe this announcement is maybe less of load on, you know, on the gray matter to ease us into the show. Look, I like WordPress. I've been playing around with it 
on and off, you know, since I think around 2002 with their famous five-minute install. You know, it was awesome versus the likes of EHP, BB, and Joomla in the day. It even yep. powers my own personal blog. I like it, but you may be saying, so what, you know? But to frame it here, WordPress is popular. Do you know how popular WordPress is, Gabe? Well, you know, I often tell people that it feels like WordPress runs half the internet, but I have a feeling you know the answer, so why don't you tell me? Well, you know, not quite half, but would you believe it powers 34% of all websites worldwide? So if we think about our- That's huge. It is huge, yeah. And if we think about our tech chat audience, many listening will have synergies and experiences to what we're going to start the show with. So last year, we launched our first WordPress plugin, Amazon Polly, which as per what Polly does, creates lifelike audio versions of your blog post. The response to this plugin was impressive, and we followed up with new functionality to translate using Translate. And to date, this has been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. On October 30th, we announced the general availability of the AWS for WordPress plugin. This now wraps them both up and extends on the existing workflows, and it allows you to configure a CloudFront distribution that is highly optimized for WordPress websites. Being a WordPress plugin, it's available within the WordPress plugin directory, you know, after you've logged into WP Admin, and it's free to download. Actually digressing tech chat listeners, you should probably look at renaming wp-admin to something else as a general rule when looking to harden your WordPress installation. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of security through obscurity, but it's still a good practice because you know you at least want to change where the front door to your admin page is. I agree. Good advice. Now, you mentioned free, but just to clarify, standard charges are still going to apply for using any AWS services. For example, if you're using CloudFront, see the CloudFront pricing page and so on. So how easy is this to get going, Shane? Look, I thought you would never ask. Being the WordPress fan I am, I needed to kick the tires on this. You know, it's quite easy, but there are still a few things you need to do. So after you've downloaded the plugin, which is as easy as any other plugin, you need to configure some permissions so the plugin can manipulate AWS resources. This is either done via an IAM user or an IAM role. So if you're running WordPress on an EC2 instance, use a role. Elsewhere, use an IAM user. Right. So what this means is if you're running WordPress and that instance is not running on AWS, you can still leverage this plugin with the use of IAM credentials for a principal, like a user or a role with appropriate permissions. Yeah, that's right, Gabe. And look, the plugin has great documentation, but if you know WordPress and AWS, it's really straightforward. I would say just pop AWS WordPress plugin into your favorite search engine for more details as we have a sample IAM policy you can attach to a user. So a pro tip here, if you have been using prior plugins and want to jump on board to this new plugin, you'll need to update the IAM policy or role to be able to manipulate CloudFront. After you've created your policy, attach it to your user and you're set. Back within the AWS plugin section within your WordPress admin panel, you simply put in your IAM user access key and secret access key if you aren't using a role and select your region and then simply tick the tick box on CloudFront, Poly and Translate. You know, really, really, really simple. It really doesn't get much easier than that. And if it's true, 34% of sites worldwide running WordPress, this is a quick win to add CDN capability with over 200 points of presence and shield standard and so on. Yeah, look, a really great win. So check it out in the WordPress plugin directory and take a look at our blog post on how to get started. So Gabe, WordPress is great really is. You know, it's helped dethrone many commercial off-the-shelf applications. You know, it saves time, which ultimately saves people money. Something else that is destined to save our customers money is savings plans. This is a pretty big change in the AWS billing landscape. I often use the term that doctor's medicine changes over time and billing options in AWS continue to advance. Yes, I agree. This is a really big change. And for quite some time, of course, we've offered something called reserved instances that help you save money on your EC2 usage. And over time, 
we've evolved the reserve instance model to make it easier for you to take advantage of these RI discounts with regional benefits that gave you the ability to apply RIs across all availability zones in a region. We introduced convertible RIs, which let you change the operating system or instance type at any time. And we introduced instance size flexibility, which allowed your regional RIs to apply to any instance size within a particular instance family. The process and how RIs work, you know, give some pretty deep discounts, you know, up to 72%. But given the amount of conversations we have with customers and the questions that continuously arise, let's say, you know, maybe it's a little bit complicated. It requires you, the customer, to coordinate your RI purchases and exchanges in order to ensure you have the optimal mix that covers usage that might change over time. And it also requires your users to ensure that they use the correct instance type to match a reservation. You know, it's kind of like I'm writing code with a heap of and statements. You know, if usage equals, say, a specific instance type and, you know, the correct availability zone and the correct account and RI purchased is true, you know, then an RI gets matched. Else, you know, you really get nothing. Yeah, so other than you getting your geek on here, Shane, the point is, it's complex, and so where saving plans come in to make a big difference here. I think for most of our listeners, savings plans are going to be the more common way going forward to save money. So let's talk about what a savings plan actually is. Let's compare savings plan cost savings to the RIs of 2019. They provide you with basically the same discounts as reserved instances in exchange for a commitment to use a specific amount of compute measured in dollars per hour over one or three year period. After you commit to a specific amount of compute usage per hour, all that usage sums up to that amount will be covered by the savings plan and anything past it will go at the on-demand rate. So it sounds like an RI, but it's more flexible. Saving plans are available in two variants. The first is compute savings plans and they provide the most flexibility to help reduce your cost by up to 66%, just like a convertible RI. Here is where you know this really shines and why I'll be recommending this to my customers. This will cover EC2 instances regardless of region, instance family, operating system, or tenancy, including those that are part of EMR, ECS, or EKS clusters, or even launched by Fargate. So for example, you might move from a T3 to an A1 instance, move a workload from a region to a region, or migrate from EC2 to Fargate. And you know what, Gabe? You don't have to do anything. Marketing yeah. and official comms aside, look, personally speaking, this is well overdue. This is a key mechanism, you know, compute savings plans in order to migrate workloads to Fargate and embracing that no ops, you know, opportunity because now there's effectively a way to get RO-like savings for Fargate and to move to a more, you know, modern cloud native architecture. Yeah, it's a really flexible uh, way to, to save money. I really love it. Now, we mentioned there are two ways. The, the second way is something called an EC2 instance savings plan. Now, this applies to a specific instance family within a region, and it provides you the largest discount, in this case, up to about 72%, just like standard RIs. Now, just like with RIs, your savings plan covers usage of different sizes with the same instance type, like a C5 4X large or C5 large, throughout a specific region. You can even switch from Windows to Linux with continuing to benefit here without having to make any changes to this specific savings plan. Think of it like borrowing money from the bank. So hang with me here, listeners. If you lock in rates for a longer period, as in maybe two to three years, you'll get a deeper discount than variable interest rates. That's what is effectively going on here. You know, If you know you are going to be tied to EC2 and a specific instance type for a period, you can lock in deeper savings with an EC2 instance savings plan. But if you want 
added flexibility and you can forego a reduction in discount, they make a lot of sense. I would argue migrating to a platform like Fargate may be in your best interest long-term. We know containers allow tighter bin packing than EC2 in general, and now compute saving plans may give you that added incentive to advance your architecture. The question I have in my mind, and know many of my customers will ask, what happens to my existing RIs? Right. So today, if you own any reserved instances, the savings plan applies to any on-demand usage that's not covered by RIs. We will continue to sell reserved instances also for the foreseeable future, but savings plans are more flexible and I advise customers to look at them specifically going forward. So that was my first question, Gabe, but my next is how do I get started on purchasing a savings plan? Well, the good news is this is self-service and if you're familiar with online shopping... Which I think we all are. Yep. So if you're familiar with online shopping, it's very easy. It's as simple as adding something to your cart and checking out. You can use the AWS Cost Explorer tool to help you choose a savings plan and this will guide you through the purchase process. You open up Cost Explorer then click recommendations within savings plans. Now this will look at your usage and give you some recommendations and it might say something like, we suggest you spend $2.40 of hourly savings plan commitment. It'll project the savings and it will try and take into account variable usage or temporary usage spikes in order to recommend a steady state capacity that AWS believes you should consider using a savings plan for. Now, when you're ready to move forward, add your desired savings plan commitment to your cart Submit your order and it's as simple as that. So some things I want to call out for our listeners here. Savings plans can be purchased in any account within an AWS organization slash consolidated billing family. So by default, the benefit providing by savings plans is applicable to usage across all accounts within an AWS organization. However, let's say you work in a political organization, in air quotes, and you want to lock the savings plan to only the account that purchased them. That's an option. I say, unless you're keeping score, you know, it's practice. Cost Explorer will show you your savings realized versus on demand in the Cost Explorer, which will let you know, you know, if you're utilizing your savings plan effectively. So obviously, you know, we want to go back and ensuring that we're measuring here. And let's say you purchase mm. a savings plan of $3 per hour and you find it's not enough. What options do we have, Gabe? Right. Well, you can have multiple savings plans active. So you could just purchase another savings plan for whatever additional amount of hourly compute spend you feel you're comfortable committing to. Cool. So savings plans are available in all AWS regions outside of China. This means, yes, you can have them in GovCloud too. And you can start the purchase and benefit from them today. They say you don't know what you don't know. Observability is everything. You know, having great telemetry allows you to make calculated data-driven decisions. Often easier said than done. More so if we look through the lens of AWS. CloudWatch is going to be able to provide you monitoring and observability at the application and infrastructure level for all walks of your organization. That's a good thing. But Gabe, one of my customers has north of 200 AWS accounts and CloudWatch is bound wow. to the account level. It's kind of a problem. CloudWatch does what it says it will do but, you know, it's somewhat macro in its optics. Yeah, well, until now, because CloudWatch has now launched cross-account and cross-region dashboards, giving you a single-pane view or aggregated view across multiple AWS accounts, letting you display what matters most to you. Woohoo! You can then... Yeah, I know. So you can then drill into more specific dashboards in a different AWS account without having to log in and out of different accounts or switch AWS regions. Yeah, look, that's a good thing. The key point there for me is not having to log in and out into different accounts and switch regions. This release is aimed, you know, not at the macro team level, but really at those who need to monitor, troubleshoot and analyze applications running in multiple regions and or accounts. 
ultimately, you know, feature releases like this should help drive down your MTTR, so or mean time to resolution. Had a quick play with this. Obviously, I don't have an organization with you know a heap of metrics, but I do like that you can also use CloudWatch metric math to aggregate and transform metrics from multiple accounts and regions. To get started and to make this happen, it's not on by default. You need to go to the CloudWatch settings in your account and enable a cross-account, cross-region view. Then, in the settings of each account that you're monitoring, enable sharing of your CloudWatch data and link your accounts when prompted. Once the view is enabled, you'll see the account and region drop-down lists for your main CloudWatch console, and you can use them to quickly view dashboards, metrics, and alarms in other regions and accounts. In the Metrics tab, you can find and add metrics from different accounts and regions to a single graph, which is awesome. And then you can aggregate those metrics using CloudWatch metric math. A call out here is, you know, to make all this magic happen, it's all about permissions. I am permissions. You can create a policy to provide sharing at either the account level via an ARN or an organization ID, and the process uses STS to assume a role. CloudWatch cross-account, cross-region dashboards are now available in all commercial AWS regions. Yay. Now, speaking of making life easier through monitoring dashboards, uh, VMware has been making lives of on-premises and hybrid cloud administrators easier for many years. VMware vSphere is an industry-leading server virtualization software, which allows companies to run their virtualized clusters on-premise. And while I know a lot of people love using VMware to manage their on-premises clusters, I don't hear a lot of people talking about how they love to manage databases, either natively or on yeah, vSphere. Yeah, you know, quite a bit of overhead there. I know when I was managing vCenter and vSphere, there were things that I was doing that probably definitely wasn't adding value. So look, right, when you run a database, there's a lot you need to take care of, you know, things like keeping the OS patched and up to date. Uh, you know, and doing the same thing for the database engine. You know, it's one thing to have patches for the OS. There's another thing to have patches for the database engine. There's configuring and mm -hmm. monitoring backups and retention mechanisms. And of course, you know, responding to scaling needs. Uh, something happens, a database gets slammed, or maybe, you know, there's a developer has pushed out, uh, you know, maybe an unoptimized query and it's causing locking on tables. You know, there's a lot of things that need to happen. And to use one of our favorite phrases, Gabe, you know, Ultimately, there's a lot of undifferentiated heavy lifting going on here. Yes. And you know where that happens, AWS often steps in to help. And uh, indeed, that's why many people choose to host their databases in the cloud with services like Amazon RDS, our relational database service. But some customers want to run their database servers on-premises or in a hybrid environment for security, privacy, regulatory compliance, or like data sovereignty policies, for example. Now, if that sounds like you, your day might have just gotten a whole lot better because we just made the Amazon RDS on VMware capability generally Wait, available. Wait, what? RDS on VMware? What does that even mean? Yeah, I know. At first, it might sound confusing, but it's really cool. Uh, once you understand the moving parts, it will all make sense. So let me try and explain. With Amazon RDS on VMware, the database engine is running on your own hardware, and your data lives on your own disks inside your VMware cluster, while the Amazon RDS on VMware service automate to your database provisioning, operating system and database patching, backups, point-in-time restores, and compute scaling, as well as database instance health management in VMware vSphere environments. VMware vSphere admins have the comfort of knowing their workloads are running on the cluster, but they get many of the conveniences afforded by a fully managed service, since Amazon RDS on VMware will automate many of these tedious database admin tasks. Plus, you can use Amazon CloudWatch to monitor database metrics in RDS on VMware. 
that sounds pretty great. But can we just dive a little bit deeper here, Gabe, and talk more you know, around the technical specifics of this service? Yeah, sure. So RDS on VMware is made up from a set of VMs running on your vSphere infrastructure connected through a dedicated VPN tunnel to the AWS region. This service provides a single pane of glass experience via the AWS Management Console, CLI, and APIs to manage RDS databases running on-premises and in AWS. Now, if the network connection between your vSphere cluster and the AWS region is interrupted, your database instance availability isn't impacted at all. In case of VPN disconnectivity, you will not be able to initiate new database management operations using the AWS Management Console, CLI, or APIs. That's all. And if the AWS services aren't reachable, then database monitoring metrics won't be sent to Amazon CloudWatch. So that's important to know. Now, another thing to note about is backups. RDS on VMware allows you to specify automated backup retention periods of up to 35 days for each database in your fleet. It's important to note that RDS on VMware Restore doesn't perform in-place replacements of existing databases. What it will do is create a new database instance, restore your data to new volumes, and allow you to decide the best path forward in your specific situation. Yeah, I like that. You know, restoring to an alternate database name, really cool because, you know, you don't want to interrupt what is currently running. So look, that sounds pretty awesome, but everything has its limitations. You know, what are the important things that our folks who are listening today need to know when giving this a go? Yep. So let me tell you about some of the limits that I think you should be aware of. Uh, from a compatibility perspective, RDS on VMware works with vSphere clusters that run version 6.5 or higher. And uh, RDS on VMware supports MySQL 5.7, PostgreSQL 10.9, and Microsoft SQL Server 2016 Service Pack 2 Enterprise Edition. For Microsoft SQL Server specifically, you're going to need to provide your own media and license as well. Wow, uh, no standard edition, Gabe, for SQL Server. <laughs> Something to look nope. into. And look, the vSphere 6.5 thing. We've spoken about software hygiene in the past. You know, whilst these are minimum versions that you've just listed, I think it's really important to keep on a supportable version for many, many reasons. So I digress here, Gabe, for us. No, 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 that's a really good point. Um, and also to your point about no standard edition uh, for SQL Server, you know, you mentioned, I mentioned it's only for the enterprise edition. I think it also just makes sense in the sense that most people who are running VMware and vSphere are going to be these enterprise customers, right, with a lot of their own hardware they're trying to leverage. And so it's not surprising to me that the version that we're supporting right now is the enterprise edition of SQL Server. So from a connectivity perspective, uh, your vSphere cluster has got to be able to have outbound connectivity to the internet uh, so we can make that VPN tunnel, right? And it must be able to make HTTPS connections to public AWS endpoints. On the permission side of things, you're going to need to have admin privileges and the skills to match on the cluster in order to set up RDS on VMware. And you'll need to have or create a second set of credentials for use by RDS on VMware. Hardware-wise, uh, the hardware that you use to host RDS on VMware has got to be listed in the relevant VMware hardware compatibility guide, which you can check out. And each cluster has got to have at least 24 vCPUs, 24 gigabytes of memory, and 180 gigabytes of storage for the on-premises management components of RDS on VMware, allowing additional resources to support your on-premise database instances that you're going to launch. That's it for the specifics. Wow. So 
I can't run this off my laptop, it sounds. You know, there's a lot of ants here. You know, I'd be interested to take a look at the VMware hardware compatibility guide. You know, can I just use uh, super micro servers or maybe like a, you know, a HP box out there? Or, you know, do I need, you know, specific direct attach or SAN-based storage? Something to, you know, investigate if this, you know, is compelling for you. So, yeah. It would not be an update show in 2019 without some container news. So three quick updates here. Starting with ECR, you know, our Elastic Container Registry. Another lever that we're adding to our register is image and vulnerability scanning of your containers. Ooh. Yeah, woohoo. You know, and it's something that third parties have filled with, you know, like Twistlock and Aquasec in the paid space and Claire being popular in the open source space. Gabe, we now have container scanning. It is as simple as that. You know, it's one of those things that have just snuck in here. And before I hand it over, some may ask, you know, why image scanning? So image or container scanning helps improve the security of your application's container by scanning them for a broad range of operating system vulnerabilities, detect CVEs. You can enable image scans on push for your repositories to ensure that every image is automatically checked against an aggregated set of CVEs, which stands for common vulnerabilities and exposures. You can also scan images using an API command, of course, because this is AWS and we're all about APIs, allowing you to set up periodic scans for running container images to ensure that you're continued monitoring them. ECR notifies you when a scan completes and the results are available also in the console. Okay, so look, I had a quick play here in the console, so not an API call, and would like to say this is seamless, but when I tried to scan, I got unsupported image error. The operating system and or package manager are not supported. A little bit embarrassing, but look, that led me to the fact that ECR supports package vulnerability scanning for major versions of Amazon Linux, Amazon Linux 2, Debian, Ubuntu, CentOS, Oracle Linux, Alpine, RHEL Linux distributions. So there we go. So look, you need to check that your container is based off a major version of those distributions. This one wasn't. You can configure your repos to scan on push, but you can also use the AWS CLI, AWS tools for PowerShell or the console. And if you stay within the boundaries of those operating systems that we just listed, you will be fine. Second update surely has to be Kube related. It is, of course. And this time, this one has to do with Spot, which is even in the light of savings plans, still very relevant. We now have something called the AWS Node Termination Handler which makes it easy for customers to take advantage of cost savings offered by EC2 spot instances in their Kubernetes clusters while gracefully handling EC2 spot instance terminations. So remember listeners with spot, there is a two minute warning before instance termination. I know the name does what it says, but it sounds like a bad guy in a movie. I digress. Yeah. So this is how it helps a no termination handler. It provides a connection between termination warning notifications sent from AWS when your spot instance is going to terminate over to the Kubernetes nodes. This lets you have graceful draining and termination of nodes that receive these interruption notifications. Now we can do this because the termination handler uses the Kubernetes API to initiate drain and cordon actions on a node that's targeted for termination. The node termination handler project can also be configured to simulate spot termination requests so you can see how Kubernetes applications are going to react to this type of interruption. So Gabe, the Terminator franchise just keeps on going forward. You may be, you know, up for a role in the next coming one. I just have to say that. 
So look, thank you. I like the last part. You know, it allows you to mock this out, which is really cool. So this project is open source. So as usual, contributions are welcome and are supported by AWS. You can run the termination handler on any Kubernetes cluster running on AWS, including clusters creating with Amazon Elastic Kubernetes Service (EKS) or just even on EC2. So to learn more or get started, see github.com forward slash AWS forward slash AWS hyphen node hyphen termination hyphen handler. And we'll leave notes in the podcast summary. The last and third update we have around container is something that I'm really excited about. You know, we love CDK or the cloud development kit. It's the new cloud formation, you know, in my mind, my customers are adopting it and it's just great. So customers can now use CDK to configure and deploy ECS patterns into their CloudFormation stacks. Yes, I like your point uh, that it's a new CloudFormation. And just for listeners who are maybe unfamiliar with CDK, uh, it still synthesizes, it creates CloudFormation scripts for you. I should say CloudFormation templates for you, but it lets you author in a higher level language that is actually like a programming language of your choice from a bunch of popular options. So you can actually use the programming capabilities that you're comfortable with uh, to you know, define much nicer relationships between your resources. It's awesome. Now, previously, customers needed to write detailed CloudFormation stacks and learn how different resources are integrating with one another, like a VPC and an application load balancer, for example. This is time-consuming to author, and it requires you to have a detailed knowledge of how a lot of these AWS services interact with each other. With the ECS patterns inside the Cloud Development Kit, Customers can now create common patterns of deployment, such as load balance Fargate services with only a few lines of code. These patterns can be reused by other developers to save time in creating infrastructure. Now, we aim to provide the best experience for ECS customers to define their infrastructure as code. Four ECS patterns are available today within the ECS patterns namespace in each of the CDK's supported programming languages. In our ECS section of the CDK documentation, there are plenty of examples in CDK construct library for higher level ECS constructs from creating clusters and task definitions, application load balancers, and so on. So if you use ECS or CDK, please take a look at this update. And it goes without saying, I just love CDK. And I was looking at the ECS construct library and it's almost beautiful Gabe in its simplicity. We know, Gabe, that AWS is a platform of choice. Perhaps, you know, maybe sometimes too much choice. But there's no denying the granularity of AWS. Now, there are things that I wish we would just turn on and make sensible defaults, as it makes a lot of sense, such as CloudTrail logging. But given the cost implications, we make it easy for you to turn on, but don't turn this on. Another service that's hmm. fast becoming, in my mind, a sensible default is GuardDuty. You know, it provides a lot of insight that you can action for not too much money. So typically speaking, Guard duty constitutes around 1% of a typical monthly AWS spend. And just a level set for those who aren't aware, Guard duty is a managed threat detection service that continuously monitors your accounts for malicious or unauthorized behavior to help protect your workloads. It monitors for activities such as unusual API calls and detects potentially compromised instances or reconnaissance attempts being performed by malicious actors. Yep, and, and the output for uh, Guard duty artifacts is its findings. So GuardDuty leverages three different kinds of data feeds to generate these findings for you about your AWS account. First, it evaluates a duplicate VPC log stream that we operate. So you don't need to turn on VPC flow logs if you only want them analyzed by GuardDuty. GuardDuty will automatically look at them regardless of whether you have VPC flow logs enabled or not. On the DNS front, it monitors queries made from EC2 to instances known questionable domains 
as well as Route 53 logs if you're using Route 53. And lastly, your cloud trail history of AWS API calls uh, used to access the management console, SDKs, uh, and CLI, plus the identification of the user account and source IP making those all feed into guard duty. So since we're now up to speed, you know, Gabe, I actually spent a bit of time with guard duty. So if you type in self-defending borders into your favorite search engine, you will no doubt see a few presentations I've done at various events around the world. And the gist of the talk is you need a dev mindset to provide effective security as traditional security controls just don't cut it. I have a big state machine based on step functions, which is being fed data from various different inputs, one of those being guard duty findings. And my state machine is driving various Lambda functions to do this and that. Kind of awesome stuff. So Yeah, it totally is. So the update here. Guard duty, you know, if you aren't aware, is continually adding more threat detectors. So it's more than SSH and RDP brute force logins. Recently, Guard Duty introduced three new threat detections. Two of the detections are related to Amazon S3 and the third to a potential EC2 instance metadata exfiltration via DNS rebinding. That's a tongue twister. It's like buzzword bingo there. So we'll, we'll unpack these now for you. So uh, the first uh, S3 related detection uh, is a uh, you could call it S3 block public access disabled. Now, this will inform you that uh, the S3 block public access uh, feature was disabled for an S3 bucket in your AWS account or multiple accounts if you have that configured. S3 block public access is an ability used to filter policies or ACLs applied to a bucket to prevent the inadvertent exposure of data. So this detection may be an indicator of a misconfiguration or of malicious activity. A finding generated from this threat detection does not mean that the bucket or objects are shared publicly, but that you should audit the policies and ACLs applied to the bucket to confirm that the appropriate permissions are in place. Now, similarly, the second S3 related detection, S3 server access logging disabled, informs you that a change has occurred to disable, surprisingly, the Amazon S3 server access logging feature for a bucket where it was previously enabled. When Amazon S3 server access logging is disabled, again, it could be an indicator of misconfiguration or of malicious activity, and you should look at into this. The severity for both of these findings is low. Look, and just on that, the severity for both of these findings is low. Guard duty findings have severity levels, and you can you know, mm. take actions based on severity levels. So for some things, you may just want to be informed about. But for other things, you know, high severity findings, you may want to take immediate action. So the third new threat detection relates to EC2 metadata DNS rebind. And this informs you that an EC2 instance in your environment is querying a domain that resolves to the EC2 metadata IP address. That's uh, actually pretty interesting here. So a DNS query of this kind may indicate that an attempt to conduct DNS rebinding in an effort to obtain metadata from an EC2 instance, including you know, the IAM credentials associated with the instance. DNS rebinding makes use of vulnerabilities in the application running on the EC2 instance or human users that access URL in a web browser running on the EC2 instance. The severity for this finding is high. And I just love that, you know, we're releasing detectors that cover all these edge cases here. It's pretty advanced and it's really great that I agree with you that we put these in and, you know, we continue to add more over time. And I think that's what's great about Guard Duty. You know, it's not just the functionality you get today. It constantly evolves. It's totally worth it. Yeah, so look, these new findings are available in all regions in which Amazon Guard Duty is available. As it should go without saying, you don't need to take any action to start using these new finding types. And a top tip, maybe you aren't convinced about Guard Duty. You know, both Gabe and I say it is awesome, but it also has a 30-day free trial. So I'd suggest turn it on. 
within a few hours, it's going to start sending you findings about what guard duty has noticed. You've got 30 days to turn it off and guard duty will tell you what it thinks you're going to be charged post the trial. So even if you turn it off, you're going to have those actionable findings. You know, And another point worth calling out is guard duty is enabled at the account and region level. So you don't need to turn it on, I guess, you know, globally and in all accounts. You know, If you just want to focus on one account that you think, you know, maybe I've got some security vulnerabilities here, turn it on, have a play. Right. Or, or maybe maybe you have a, one account that is just more critical, right? You've got one account where your dev workloads are running and you've got one where, you know, one or two where your prod services are, are running. Yeah. You can enable it only in those. So Gabe, that's all we have time for today. Whilst there is still plenty to talk about, it's that time. And by that, I mean it's time to end the show. Today, we covered a round of updates that occurred in the month of October and November in the year 2019. We started the show with a fun announcement. We introduced the Amazon WordPress plugin. It combines our other plugins around Poly and Translate together and adds CloudFront and is available in the WordPress plugin gallery. As a WordPress user, it has my own seal of approval. Double thumbs up. Before pivoting to something rather huge in the world of AWS, savings plans, we looked at how we tweaked RIs over the years, but we spoke about you know one of the ugly truths around RIs. They're complex and you need all your ducks to line up. Yeah, we introduced you to savings plans and talked about compute and EC2 instance savings plans. We talked about how these savings plans compare to RIs, and we talked about the process you need to go through in order to use a savings plan. CloudWatch has now launched cross-account and cross-region dashboards, giving you a single-pane view or aggregated view across multiple AWS accounts, allowing you to display what matters the most to you. RDS and VMware has now gone GA, allowing you to run a database engine on your own hardware, while the Amazon RDS service automates your database provisioning, operating system and database patching, backups, point-in-time restore, compute scaling, as well as database instance health management in VMware vSphere environments. And it wouldn't be an update show without container updates, three of them. ECR now has container scanning, allowing you to detect CVEs. Kube has integration with EC2 Spot, and ECS now has CDK Spot. Lastly, to close out the show, and in sticking with updates in groups of three, GuardDuty introduces three new thread detections. S3 block public access disabled informs you that the S3 block public access feature was disabled for an S3 bucket in your account or multiple accounts if you have that enabled. S3 server access logging disabled informs you that a change has occurred to disable the Amazon S3 server access logging feature for a bucket where it had previously been enabled. And lastly, a detection of EC2 metadata DNS rebind, which informs you that an EC2 instance in your AWS environment is querying a domain that resolves to the EC2 metadata IP address. Listeners, now three weeks to reInvent. Thanks to those who wrote in to let us know that they're going to attend. If we haven't replied back, we will be in touch. And if you are coming and still have an email list, let us know. You know, Keep us honest. Feedback is always welcome at awstechchat at amazon.com. Now, this is usually the time when I would say, join us again in a few weeks' time, to which we'll be back with a deep dive of your choosing. But that would be on the Friday before reInvent, and I'm going to be honest, I need a break. So don't despair. We are working, as I mentioned, on something special. And as mentioned in the news, we will be your guide throughout the event, and we plan to drop multiple episodes during reInvent covering the big and not-so-big announcements and in a real timely manner. So until next time, bye from Melbourne, Australia and from Singapore, and we'll be back recording Tech Chat from reInvent 2019. See you soon from Las Vegas. Bye for now. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, 
and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.